Hi, everyone. It's Eve Bentley Blows from spiritgirl.com, and welcome to the Spark Girl Talk Show podcast. I'm super excited to be here with you today with our very special guest, Kristen Neff, who is a self compassionate expert. She's an author, and we're here today to talk about one of her brand new books which is Fierce Self-Compassion, How Women Can Harness Kindness to Speak Up, Claim Their Power and Thrive. She's one of my absolute go-tos when it comes to self-compassion. I've listened to so many of her incredible talks. I've listened to the audio books. And after her 20 years plus experience in the field of self-compassion, She is one of the pioneers, and I'm super grateful and honored to be here with you today. So welcome. How are you today? Oh, I'm great, Yvette. Thank you for having me on the show. And welcome to our global audience. I'm super excited to have you here today. Before we dive into your books, are you happy to tell our audience a little bit about yourself? So I've been researching self-compassion for about 20 years. I, I like to jokingly refer to myself as a self-compassion evangelist because my life's work really is to spread the good word of self-compassion. So in other words, researching and also teaching people how to be kinder and more supportive to themselves. So I'm also a professor at University of Texas at Austin, and I'm the proud mother of a son named Rowan, who you notice is in my picture back there. (laughs) And those are really the two most important things in my life, I would say. My a role as a mother and a, a self-compassion evangelist. And what drew you to the topic of self-compassion and how did the initial journey start? Well, uh, basically I was a basket case, is just to put it simply. I was um, under a lot of stress. It was my last year of graduate school. I was finishing up my PhD and I had just gotten a divorce and it was like a really messy divorce and I was feeling all this shame and self-doubt. And I was also feeling really stressed after, you know, spending all this time and money to get a PhD. Would I get a job? It wasn't easy to get a job. So I was just stressed. And what am I going to do? And so I started to learn mindfulness meditation to deal with my stress. And luckily for me, the woman teaching the mindfulness course talked about self-compassion. She talked about the importance of being kind, supportive, warm to yourself, especially when you're struggling, which which I was. And it took me a while to figure out mindfulness meditation is kind of a more complex skill. I was really blown away by just the moment I started speaking to myself with more warmth and kindness and understanding. And, you know, hey, this is a really hard time. I'm here for you. It just immediately made a huge difference in my ability to get through that difficult time in my life. And so I did get a job as a professor at UT Austin. I decided to research it. And that's really what I've been doing for the last 20 years. For someone listening in wondering, what is self-compassion? Can you share that? So I actually have a formal definition because when I decided I wanted to research it, I knew I had to define it so I could measure it. So there's actually three elements of self-compassion. The first is, believe it or not, mindfulness. Mindfulness is part of self-compassion. In other words, just as if, you know, if your friend calls you up and says, I, I need, really need to talk, I'm upset, and you say, I'm too busy for you, or like, oh, just you're full of it. If, if you aren't mindful, if you aren't willing to take the time and listen to your friend's story, you can't give her compassion. Well, it's the same thing with ourselves. We have to be mindful. We have to actually turn toward and say, 
this is really hard right now, as opposed to just like muscling through it or else the other extreme, like getting totally absorbed by the story, like the drama, then you have no perspective. You need perspective to say, hey, you're having a hard time. Can I help? So that's the first element, mindfulness. And then, of course, the kindness, which I talked about, which instead of judging yourself, well, it's your fault, you know, saying, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry. Is there anything I can do to help? I care about you. That kind of warm, friendly attitude towards yourself. But then really important, what makes it compassion and not self-pity is the sense of connectedness to other people. In other words, it's not like, woe is me, poor me. It's remembering, hey, this is the human condition. All people make mistakes. All people struggle. Life isn't easy for anyone. I mean, some more than others, but nonetheless, what it means to be human is to struggle and to be imperfect. And so when you frame your own experience in light of that shared human experience, it means that when we struggle, we don't feel so alone. We feel more connected to others. And that's what makes it compassion, like I said, as opposed to pity. I've personally read your books and listened to the audio, and I've learned by taking on your advice and tips and everything. It truly has helped my overall well-being and mental health. Are you able to explain the benefits from the mental health perspective of practicing self-compassion? Oh, yeah, they're huge. I mean, there are thousands of research studies at this point showing the benefits of self-compassion. So one thing it does is when you hold your pain or your stress or your sadness with this kind of warm, supportive attitude and you don't feel so isolated by it, it reduces all sorts of negative states of mind, like it reduces depression, anxiety, stress, um, suicidal ideation, right? So eating disorders, all those unhealthy ways, ways we cope with pain, we ruminate, we get stuck, we become anxious, we, we can't sleep. It reduces those because when you support yourself when things are difficult, you're, you're more able to cope with your pain. Um, at the same time, interestingly, because it, compassion feels good, it feels good to feel connected and feel this kindness and warmth towards yourself. It also is linked to positive states of mind, like happiness and life satisfaction. So it basically reduces negative states of mind and enhances positive states of mind at the same time. And if we wanted to give our listeners a way to practice a short self-compassion, I've learned through you, thankfully, how to even just give myself a hug Yes, And just to feel that, would you be able to share the benefits of that and more about that self-compassionate hug? Any touch or holding your face, whatever feels, holding your hands, whatever feels good. Well, it's because for human beings, touch is the primary way, especially to infants, that care is communicated, right? So before infants have language, parents let the baby know they care by holding it and rocking it and touching it and stroking it. And so we, we evolved to interpret touch as a signal of care. And it actually works physiologically in, in terms of the nervous system, if you want to know it, deactivates sympathetic, the fight or flight response, and it activates parasympathetic response, things that help us feel calm and more flexible. So when you use touch, it kind of bypasses the brain, which may be full of the story of how horrible you are. And it's just like, okay, I feel myself present. I feel that I care. I feel that warmth. And it's a really direct way to give yourself compassion. So language also helps, but it's not just your language. Touch is equally, if not more for some people, powerful. And when we notice ourselves having thoughts that are very unkind and mean, 
yeah. where we maybe have messed up, failed, or we just feel like we've done something out of character. We're not proud of it. How can in that moment we even notice what we're saying to ourselves? What is a more kinder way to speak to ourselves? Are there particular words? And it's really important to start noticing. That's really the first step. Again, that's kind of the mindfulness. If you aren't even really aware the pain you're causing yourself, how are you going to change it? So it can be really helpful just to write down what are the types of things you say to yourself when, again, you make a mistake or something happens you aren't proud of. And just ask yourself, would I say this to a friend I cared about? Or, you know, a family member I cared about? And the answer is usually no. And then you can just say, well, what would I say to someone I really cared about if I was trying to help them and be there for them? And then you already have your template right there for what to say to yourself. Uh, it, it feels a little awkward at first. I'm not going to lie. It feels a little strange. It's only because we're so used to that really harsh voice. It feels more comfortable, more normal. But eventually we can start to treat ourselves with the same kindness we show our friends. And like I say, it makes a huge difference in our ability to cope with difficulty. And when it comes to the mindfulness practice, would you suggest that it's just good to sit down at the start of every morning or if you're a busy mum or person any time of the day, to start the mindfulness practice? Mindfulness meditation is great. I highly recommend it, but it's not realistic for all people, especially like really busy parents. Or for instance, I taught self-compassion to a group of healthcare workers. They said, don't give me that meditation stuff. We don't have time. So with self-compassion, the time to practice is really anytime you're suffering. So it's like when you're on that job and you feel so overwhelmed or if you, when you get that phone call or when you look in the mirror and you have that thought, that's actually the time to practice self-compassion. You don't necessarily have to take time out of your day to meditate. It can be helpful, but it's actually not needed. You know, the idea is anytime you're struggling, you're feeling badly about yourself or things are really challenging, that's when you just say, you know, again, the three ingredients of self-compassion, being mindful, validating this is really hard. Well, this is part of life. I'm not alone. I'm not something wrong with me for feeling this way. This happens. And then some words of kindness. And if you can throw in a little touch in the moment, that's also really helpful. And my research shows that both are equally effective. Meditation or just on the spot in the moment practices of self-compassion are equally effective. So they're both good. Well, your pioneering work is so needed for this generation and many, many more to come because with social media, it can be yes. easy to open our feed. And if we're feeling a bit overweight or unhealthy, we can look at it and then think, oh, we're not looking fit like that. Can you share anything we could do to help with our the struggles with our weight or ourselves. We did one study where we just had women who were struggling with their weight listen to the meditations or the practices on my website for three weeks. And what we found is just after three weeks of practice, their sense of self-worth was less contingent on their appearance. See, that's the problem, right? We judge ourselves positively based on the way we look or other people's reactions to us. And so with self-compassion, you become less dependent on the approval of others. You become, it doesn't matter as much the way you look. What matters is that you care about yourself. So your sense of self-worth starts becoming more intrinsic. And so 
you know, in those moments, if you think oh, I can't lose the weight, you know, by the way, it doesn't mean that you may not still want to lose the weight, but it's not like you have to, to be worthy. Maybe you just want to feel healthy in your body. And what, what we know is if you motivate yourself because of kindness, because I care, I want to feel good. It's much more sustainable. Because if when you fail, then it's like, well, it doesn't mean I'm a bad person, but I, I want to feel healthy, so I'll keep going. As opposed to saying, oh, I'm, you know, I'm a failure, I'm calling yourself names. And then it's actually, then you might as well just eat that, whatever, a whole cake or, or whatever, or hate yourself. And when you start doing that route, then that's really when the damage is caused. So yeah. self-compassion is just about this, hey, I'm doing the best I can and being kind to yourself as we go through life. One of our favorite sayings is the goal of practice is, is simply to be a compassionate mess. In other words, you're still going to be a mess. You're probably still going to look a mess. You're going to, your life's going to be a mess. Your goal stops being to get it right or to be perfect. And your goal becomes just to open your heart and to hold it all with love and warmth and a feeling of connection. That actually is what becomes most important. And you can be a compassionate mess. You can't not be a mess, but you can be a compassionate mess. And the, your goals start shifting, right? And and that's really the, the big change is that it's, it's not so much about whether people like you or how you look or how well you perform. It's like, uh, is my heart open? And am I present? And do I feel connected? That's what's really important. Well, your work is like a savior, not only to myself, but I'm sure many of our listeners already love your work and those who are discovering you being able to even drive in the car and then when you have that thought which is beating you up the inner bully then to be able to practice the things you're teaching us today is really life transforming and it's so good for your mental health and well-being that I thought during COVID-19 is really the time for more self-compassion. Yes. One of the meditations I've done through you uh, online, which is incredible here in Australia, has been the loving kindness. Uh This has helped me immensely, especially during the time when we have so much divide in our community. Yes. Can you share more about loving kindness also? Because I feel that during the pandemic, this can truly help us and moving forward for many generations to come. Right. So loving kindness, it's kind of an awkward translation of a word, but it really just means benevolence or goodwill, right? It's like the flip side of compassion. So, so, one, so one way to say it is when the sunshine of loving kindness meets the, the tears of suffering, the rainbow of compassion appears. So loving kindness is benevolence or goodwill. This is like the engine of compassion, but it can actually be applied whether or not you're suffering. That's the good thing. You don't have to just be suffering to feel this. Maybe you're feeling great and it's a good day. Then you can also feel loving kindness toward that or to other people. It's just generation of uh, kindness and goodwill. And so loving kindness meditation, basically, it generates feelings of benevolence or goodwill toward yourself toward your loved ones, toward people you don't know very well, toward people you find challenging, and then eventually, you know, the entire planet or universe. And it's really just lighting, stoking those fires of benevolence within. Often people find it the most hard to feel that loving kindness toward themselves. So it actually takes a little more work. One way we teach it that could be useful is 
imagine like you're with your beloved child or with your your pet and you say may we be well and happy and you know and then once you get you get the fires going for you and someone you love and then you kind of let the other person go temporarily and just focus on yourself you have to kind of get those fires stoked first and that's really what loving kindness meditation is about it's giving energy toward a cultivating goodwill you talk about in one of your books the self-compassionate book how you go onto a plane with your son uh, who's screaming. Yes. Can you share more about that story? You know, some people think that self-compassion is selfish, but what we, they don't realize is our brains are interconnected as human beings. We actually have specialized neurons called mirror neurons whose sole function is to feel what other people are feeling. So when you talk about feeling people's vibes, it's actually literally occurring in your brain. So what we cultivate inside and what we have going on inside impacts other people and they also impact us. So my son Rowan is actually autistic and we're very kind of connected empathically. And what I would find is when he would get, you know, start tantruming like that time in the plane, if I would get frustrated or like really just full of like shame, then actually his tantrums would get worse. Whereas if I could give myself kindness for how difficult it is to hear this tantrum, he would get better. And so that's what happened on the plane. Like he had this huge tantrum and I took him to the bathroom trying to hopefully help him calm down. But of course it was occupied. And I just put like 95% of my energy on myself. This is so hard right now. I was like, usually in public, I don't like put my hand on my heart. I didn't care. I was like, this is so hard right now. It's going to be okay, Kristen. I'm here for you. This is so hard, you know? And then, so I, I started calming down and giving myself that warmth. And then that actually helped Rowan calm down. So if, if you think about it, if you're beating yourself up and you're angry and frustrated at yourself, every single person you come into contact with is resonating with that. But if inside it's like understanding and warmth and kindness and care, every single person you come in contact with is resonating with that. So the idea that you can't even really separate clearly self and other because we're constantly impacting each other. What do you bring out in the world? Are you a compassionate presence? Are you an angry, full of shame and critical presence? You know, so it's not selfish. It's actually the kindest thing you can do for others in addition to yourself. You have written many books and I'm looking at you right now and you have loads of books behind you. So Spark Girl audience, go to the YouTube channel. What inspired you to start writing initially? Because yeah, I've been doing research for many years. I'm starting in 2003 and I published my first book in 2011. I think I just knew that I wanted to talk about self-compassion in a way that was more personal than a research paper. Most people don't read research papers unless you're a scientist, right? But I knew that this was such powerful stuff and potentially so helpful that I wanted to write a book for just the general audience, people who could relate. And also I decided to make it very personal. I didn't want to come off as this guru who's got all my stuff together. You know, I lay it all my dirty laundry out there because I'm an imperfect human being. I've made many mistakes in my life. And really just talking about how self-compassion helped me was really the way I wanted to teach it to people. Really the last 10 years of my career, I still do research, but I'm mainly focused on teaching self-compassion. I already know it works. I don't need to research it anymore. I'm convinced. <laughs> you know, I really want to just help people learn this skill because it is so life-changing. 
I absolutely love the book that you wrote, which is the self-compassion, the proven power of being kind to yourself. That for me was the starting point of really transforming my life in such a beautiful way. And it, it's made such an immense difference. Hence why I wanted you here today to help the rest of our audience especially with my mental health and well-being and the way I feel from within. You've now written a brand new book, Fierce Self-Compassion, How Women Can Harness Kindness to Speak Up and Claim Their Power and Thrive. What inspired you to write your latest book? It's really expansion of my ideas. So one thing I started noticing when I was teaching about self-compassion is that people tend to only think of kind of the gentle, nurturing, tender side of self-compassion. And it is that. It's about self-acceptance and warmth and caring. But if compassion is concerned with the alleviation of suffering, sometimes we need to take action to alleviate suffering. So for instance, sometimes we need to say no to people. We need to draw our boundaries or if someone's harming us, we need to say, you know, no, that's not okay. We need to protect ourselves. I call that mama bear self-compassion, right? That kind of fierce energy of protection is part of self-compassion. The energy that says, you know, I'm going to do what I need to do to meet my needs. I'm gonna, even if it takes energy and effort, you know, it's one thing to say I'm okay as I am and you are okay as you are. But maybe it'd be good for you to go out and do some stuff to help, you know? So that's like taking action. And also really, really importantly, motivating change because that's such a big block to self-compassion. People think it's just about self-acceptance. Well, we can accept ourselves, but if we care about ourselves, we don't want to accept all our behaviors if they're harmful, all the situations we find ourselves in if they aren't healthy. So this is really the action-oriented side of compassion. And the reason I wrote it for women is because gender role socialization says, well, women, they can be tender and soft and and gentle, well, to other people, but not to themselves. And they better not be too fierce or too powerful or too agentic. We don't like women who are too fierce. They're supposed to be kind of gentle and sweet. But by the way, men are also harmed by gender role socialization because they aren't allowed to be tender. They aren't allowed to be like warm and vulnerable, which actually harms them emotionally. So both are harmed by the fact human beings need to be most, need both fierceness and tenderness. It's like yin and yang. We need both. But gender role socialization doesn't let us be that. I wrote this book for women just because the blocks, self-compassion are different than exist for men. Again, really everyone, all people need both. You just talked about women there. One of the concerns that always comes up for me is I've got to look after everyone else before myself. So my kids, my husband, they come first, my work or my business. Yes. But self-care is an act of self-compassion and kindness, isn't it? Yes, right. So self-care, the word people use it in different ways. Sometimes it means just self-care behaviors, like taking rest, getting a massage, eating well, which are very, very important. It's also the emotional self-care. Emotional self-care is more really what self-compassion refers to, although they overlap. But so what we know very clearly from the research is the more self-compassion you have, the less likely you are to burn out. So if you give and you give and you give and you don't resource yourself 
or you're just really hard on yourself or you don't stop to say, hey, give yourself some warmth and tenderness and, and support or ask, you know, what do I need right now? Or draw boundaries when you need to, you're going to burn out. And by the way, it's not like we only have five units of compassion. And if I give three to myself, I only have two left over for anyone else. It doesn't work that way. It's additive. So the more compassion we allow to flow inward, the more we have available to flow outward. So it's not selfish, quite the opposite. It allows you to give to others and to sustain giving to others without burning out. So it's really yeah. crucial to care for others. And when it comes to your own self-care rituals, because yes. you have so much on your plate, I do. what does that look like for you? So I do do yoga. I have a, an individual yoga instructor on Zoom because if I have to drive down to the class down the street, I won't do it. <laughs> so I know if she's waiting and I'm paying for it, I'll show up. So that's like one self-care ritual in terms of just the behaviors. I try to eat healthy. So for instance, I realized that I'm getting a little specific here, but my body wasn't happy with gluten. So I cut out gluten. So I just pay attention to what I eat. I meditate, which is very important. I don't always meditate first thing in the morning. I often like meditate in bed, like in the morning and when I'm lying in bed, I'll meditate then. But really the most important self-care ritual I do is I support myself when I'm struggling. So if I'm hurting in some way, like sometimes I won't even notice that I'm, I'm upset or I'll feel kind of tense and I'll say, oh yeah, wow, I, I'm feeling bad about that conversation I had. And I might put my hand at my heart and just get, you know, wow, that's, that was really hard to have that conversation, you know, and kind of just give myself that warmth. I, I don't even say that much anymore. I used to like have a dialogue and now I'll just kind of like, I'll just feel it. And when I do that, it helps them things start releasing. Um, and also an, another practice I have is I like to call a letting go practice, right? I'm just trying to, and by the way, letting go doesn't mean like letting go of fighting for social justice or I'm still very busy, but I try not to cling or fixate on things that I don't like, especially if I know it's not going to help. I, can I let that go? Is that going to help? If I resist it, is it going to help? If not, then I'll just try to let it go. So that's something that I'm constantly thinking about as well. You have to constantly tend to your internal mindset. It'll catch you. I mean, the mind, it's like a vortex and it'll suck you in. So you have to constantly be vigilant. So am I getting sucked into the storyline? Am I resisting unnecessarily? Am I believing something about myself that's not true? You know, do I need some kindness? So it does take a little work, but it actually doesn't take time because getting stuck in rumination and blaming yourself and shame, that actually takes a lot of time. This will free you from those loops of getting stuck in a way that also frees up time and mental space and emotional energy. If yeah. someone doesn't even know how to talk to themselves kindly and compassionately, is there even one mantra you like or something they could even say just to help them start the initial journey. I wrote about this in my first book. One kind of mantra I use, this is a moment of suffering. Suffering is part of life. May I be kind to myself in this moment and may I give myself the compassion that I need. And those little four phrases, they just kind of come up automatically. They just kind of reorient you. It doesn't have to be you're doing it. Sometimes you can imagine what would an ideally compassionate coach or maybe you're religious. Maybe there's, you know, a spiritual figure who you really relate to. You might What would they say to you right now? You, know, you could also imagine someone else being compassionate to you that works better for some people. 
really any way in that, that works for you. If I was at school right now, I would love to be doing your self-compassion class and mm. learning this at school. I truly believe that it's so important and such an incredible life skill. And with the increase in depression and anxiety and social comparison, I'm getting goosebumps while I say this, but I really feel that we need to learn this skill because it can yes. really help with our mental health and well-being. Would you love to see, obviously, school kids, women and people of all ages just learning this incredible technique just to help improve overall health and well-being of our globe and nations? Yeah, I, what I really wish is that our culture would come to accept it because right now our culture doesn't promote self-compassion. It's suspicious of it. But if culturally, if kids were raised to be kind not only to others, but also themselves, if you went through law school or graduate school or medical school, if this is part of the curriculum, they taught it to younger kids, I think it could make a really big difference. Yeah. It's not going to solve the problems. It's not like it's fairy dust, but it just helps you cope with the problems in a way that's very effective. Wow, I love your work. Biggest fan. And I could talk to you forever about your books the self-compassion, your brand new. You have so much content on your website at mm -hmm. selfcompassion.org. There is so much on YouTube. You've put out so much free content to help mm -hmm. other people, which is truly incredible. You're doing so much for our community and world and making such a difference, not only in my life, but thousands and millions of people who we really gravitate to you as the pioneer. And I love how you always have used your own personal stories, which made me think, hey, she's just not this researcher, this intelligent woman who's got it all together and, and life is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was, yeah. it, it was incredible. And it's not until you read your books or listen to your audios or really dive deep that you get that real connection with you and mm. learn about your stories and even how you've turned your own life around through mm. self-compassion. What is your hope for your book readers? And just because I know the power of self-compassion. And by the way, I feel like it's self-compassion sells itself. I mean, I'm like, I'm the messenger, but it's, it, it's just it, in and of itself, it's so powerful. So if people just even give it a try, they will see for themselves. And it comes from, it's not like this special technique. It comes from themselves. I, I would hope that people would just try it out and just see for yourself what happens the next time you're feeling really badly, either because you're feeling inadequate or just because something's challenging. Just try speaking to yourself with the warmth and support that you would want to show to a friend and see what happens for yourself. It's like this superpower that people don't even know they have and they can access it. You know, you can access it in two in the morning when you can't talk to anyone else. You know, maybe your partner, if you have a partner, they're asleep. You are with yourself 24-7, your consciousness is. And so this power is there constantly that can be drawn upon. We just have to give ourselves permission to use it. And it really is life-changing. That's yes. why I'm so passionate about it. It's, it's It changes lives. It does. It really does. Because when you're at war with your own self, 
Mm-hmm. It's a dark place. It's a it horrible is. place when it's coming from within with your thoughts or the way you're treating yourself. Yes. It's not a good place to be in. And that's why I love, love, love your work and all of the dedication and passion and commitment and drive and everything you've been doing just to help other people to feel good from within. And I definitely feel that even though I was practicing yoga and I love mindfulness meditation, but it wasn't until I added in your work, the self-compassion work that really has taken myself to the next level. Because I've always been very good at like, oh, you shouldn't have done that. Standing in front of the mirror, you're fat. Mm -hmm. I've really struggled with all of those things, which I'm sure people who are listening in have had maybe their own thoughts of beating themselves up. You teach us how to practice self-compassion and speak to ourselves kinder and treat ourselves kinder. And it's true. I'd never say to my friend, you're fat. You need to lose weight. Yeah. Some part of us thinks we're helping that it will help control ourselves or we won't make mistakes or it'll be better. It's just not very effective. Kindness is just so much more powerful. And when we're practicing self-compassion, I know at times I feel like a hot mess maybe all the time. But uh-huh. <laughs> I love how you say that, a hot mess, because that's what life is right now. I find that I'm traveling really good. Things are going well. And then all of a sudden something will happen and I might say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing or or the wheels fall off. That's the moment I have to practice self-compassion in such a way. But I have that there now, whereas before I didn't have that. Yeah, so self-compassion, it's not like a destination. It's not like you get it, you're all self-compassionate and you never mess up. It's really a process. It's continual. And you fall down and you get back up again and you fall down and you get back up. And it's the way you relate to that whole mess that's so important. Can you relate to messing up and getting it wrong with kind of, you know, warmth and care and support and without judgment, but just really benevolence? And you can learn to do that. But again, it doesn't mean you're going to get it right. You will get it wrong and that's okay. You just keep trying, taking it moment by moment. And if you had a message for everyone tuning in, there's a massive trend which is coming from outside of us where we're seeking validation on the social media apps to have a like or be told from someone, you're beautiful. There's this demand that we have to be a walking brand. We have to take photos of ourselves, videos of ourselves, put Mm. ourselves out there. I call it the biggest popularity contest in the world, social media, because it's all based on metrics. Yeah. But if we want to sort of get off the popularity content and sort of move away from external validation, self-compassion is one aspect of that, isn't it, where we start creating our worth from within. Yeah, well, it's key. It's the essential ingredient, right? You don't need other people to like you or approve of you if you like and approve of yourself, even if you don't like yourself very much, you you can still be self-compassionate. Sometimes I don't like myself. Sometimes I say something like, well, I didn't like that, but I can still be kind to myself because I'm human. And, you know, I'm not supposed to be totally likable. And that's not what the human experience is about. Sometimes we're mean or we speak or we speak thoughtlessly or that, that whole messy humanness 
It's the juiciness of life. It's okay. The important thing is that, you know, we try our best. Of course, we try our best, but we hold it all with kindness and warmth. It, what it really does give you is the ability to be your authentic self. If you don't need to please other people and your self-worth is a contingent on them liking you or even contingent on having a relationship, you know, all those things you want to hear from this other person. Well, you can actually say a lot of that stuff to yourself and it's going to penetrate more deeply. You know, I care about you. I'm here for you. I want the best for you. I love you. Yeah. You know, that really, it comes most meaningly from within. And when it does come from within, you aren't so dependent on the outside. It's still nice to have the outside, but it's not necessary for your happiness. And that's real yeah. freedom. That's, that's freedom when your happiness isn't dependent on popularity or people saying the right things or approving of you. I love that. I love that. I love your work. It's incredible. And thank you so, so much for sharing your words of wisdom, your research, your personal stories, your journey. It's just been so amazing. I think I've followed you for so many years now. It feels like a very, very long time from Australia I feel that the pandemic is when I really had to dive more deeply into your work and start doing your meditations. I'm getting goosebumps as I say this. Oh. It's a goosebump moment, but I feel like especially after the last year, I've really had to learn more from you in all aspects. Uh, and it's just such a gift, your work. It's going to help so many of our listeners and I would love for people to stay in touch with you now after the show what's the best way to stay in touch with you and continue our relationship mm. and learning more from you if you go to my website you can sign up for my newsletter and I send out practices and little short videos that's probably the, the easiest way to do it. Also, if you want to get some self-compassion training, we founded a nonprofit called the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion. We actually have a lot of MSC teachers in Australia, in your own time zone, or once COVID lifts in person, but for right now, usually on Zoom, but you can actually get some training and follow up. So if you go to my website, that's probably the best place to start. You can take a self-compassion test, you can sign up for my newsletter. You can, there's a lot of guided practices. And then there's also a link to the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion if you actually want to take a course and, and take it deeper, which, you know, it, it is a practice. It does take some work, but it can be learned. That's the good news. Yeah, it's a work and practice. And like you said, it's a lifetime journey. It is. And each day is different and each evening I've noticed uh, yes, it completely right. changes. Now that's selfcompassion.org. Right. Wonderful. Well, we'll stay in touch with you, Kristen okay. Neff. Thank you so much for being one of the pioneers of self-compassion and bringing it to us in Australia and right around the world. Mm. I truly believe that it needs to be taught in schools, at university, at workplaces, anywhere where people are. It's just incredible and a much needed Thanks for tuning discussion in. and meaningful work that you do. So thank you again. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe, to leave a five-star rating and review and to tell someone you love too. And together, let's feel good from within.